Hi, good afternoon. I'm John from HP Pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Behind the Counter. Uh, today joining me um, is my extern, John Sabatix. He's a sixth-year Rutgers College of Pharmacy student. He's going to be getting his doctorate in May. So thank you, John, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And also joining us is Urvisha Patel. She is um, one of our HP family members, and she is studying to become a physician assistant. So we're very pleased and happy to have you here today. Urvisha, thank you. Um, today we're going to talk to you about opioids and fentanyl and the uh, ongoing problem uh, with overdoses. And despite the efforts of um, manufacturers, uh, healthcare people, board of pharmacy, pharmacists, even wholesale distributors, everybody working to try to decrease this uh, uh, and minimize this problem. Unfortunately, we are still seeing overdoses in record numbers. Uh, over 100,000 in the last 12 months. Um, in particular today, we are focusing on fentanyl because it is a really uh, big problem because of the potency of this particular medication. And um, we want to make sure people understand why they need to be so cautious around this medication. Uh, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. Um, it's really mostly used for chronic pain, as opposed to if you got an injury, if you got a tooth removed and you needed a, a painkiller, or if you broke an arm and you needed a painkiller. Uh, fentanyl is more for chronic pain. Uh, maybe you had severe uh, arthritis, perhaps um, you're uh, a person that's uh, in, uh, being treated for cancer. So typically, uh, fentanyl, uh, when we're most familiar with it, was in uh, patches like duragesic uh, or fentanyl patches that they would put on the skin, and then it would be slowly absorbed. Um, but it's extremely potent, right, John? Yes, sir. So I think that's a great point to talk about how potent it is. So if you guys are familiar with other opioids, such as morphine, which is generally what opioids are compared to when you're discussing potencies, um, fentanyl is 80 to 100 times more potent than morphine. So it's extremely potent. Um, in terms of illicit opioids you might be familiar with, like heroin, it's over 50 times as potent as heroin. So you would never go around touching heroin, trying to use that or deal with it. So I just wanted to direct your attention to the first picture we have here, which shows 50 milligrams of heroin and one milligram of fentanyl. So this is half the lethal dose. So all it takes is two milligrams of fentanyl to kill someone in an overdose. So it's extremely potent. As you can see, that's such a minuscule amount. Um, also, another comparison we have for you right here would be 10 milligrams of, we have um, lactulose in there, so it's not actually fentanyl, but 10 milligrams of fentanyl, so five times the lethal dose. Um, that's equivalent to 1,000 milligrams of oxycodone, or for visual reference here, we have 34 tablets of oxycodone 30 milligrams. So you would never take 34 oxycodone 30 milligram tablets. So as you can see, it's such a small amount of powder here that we have that's representing our fentanyl, and that's what's it's equivalent to. It's just important to remember how potent these powders are and to understand what you're dealing with. So if you don't know what you're dealing with, you could get into a lot of trouble with these. So I know Ravisha has a great story to talk about with a pharmacy student just like myself who had a terrible experience dealing with fentanyl powder. So there was a student from St. John's University that actually was an extern like John here. He was working in the compounding lab with um, a powder version of fentanyl and unfortunately his preceptor didn't really alert him of the circumstances that were at hand. And he had a small amount touch his fingers and he unfortunately fell unconscious and had to go to the hospital which resulted in death after a few days. 
Yeah, very sad story. So you, you can't be too careful with this medication. So tell me, um, what exactly, when, when, like when this young man, uh, the student, you know, he got this on his hands, what happens after that? What transpires to, to, to send things in such a bad way? Absolutely. So to begin with opioids, they're used commonly as a pain analgesic. So what they do is they nullify the pain receptors in your body. And a lot of these are located in the brain, specifically the brain stem, which is also responsible for breathing. So at higher doses, the more opioid you take, the slower your breathing rate becomes because those receptors overlap with your breathing control. So the more opioid you take, the slower your breathing rate becomes. So if you take too much opioid, eventually you'll get to the point where your breathing rate slows down to a point where you stop breathing. So even though you're trying to breathe, your body cannot breathe. So that is what happens when someone passes away from an opioid overdose. They literally cannot breathe. So this is really scary, especially with fentanyl. It's such a small amount required. Um, and it's important for our government and other agencies to try to do stuff to help um, protect us from that. So, Urbisha, what are we doing? What are our government doing on our behalf to help us with that? So the Board of Pharmacy is limiting uh, these medications being dispensed to a minimum of five to seven days so that the medication doesn't stay out in the open in your house. Right. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and so with the less that's around, the less that can be diverted or, you know, uh, you know, taken by people that wasn't originally intended to. I also know, too, that, um, you know, the government is trying to uh, hold uh, manufacturers, uh, suppliers and wholesalers and pharmacies themselves more uh, responsible. Uh, in fact, um, there was a, a recent uh, settlement of about, I think that the three major wholesalers that are in the United States, McKesson, Cardinal, and uh, Amerisource, uh, have to pay approximately $20 billion, $20 billion uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, I believe, uh, that's going to go to all the different individual states in New Jersey so that they can redirect that money towards recovery programs and education programs. Um, and, and furthermore, to, to the point of um, holding people accountable, um, smaller wholesalers like uh, RDC, uh, Rochester Drug, when, when uh, Amerisource and Cardinal and McKesson stopped uh, selling as much of these uh, medications, some of the smaller wholesalers ended up uh, getting some of that volume. And again, because they weren't doing enough due diligence and vetting out the places that they were selling the medicines to to see why they were using so much, even um, that um, CEO of that company uh, ended up in jail. He's in jail now, and, and the RDC is actually now closed. So, uh, you know, we're doing everything we can to make sure everybody knows this is a serious problem and that we, uh, from top to bottom, from the people who make it to the people who dispense it, and the doctors who write it, and, and the physician assistants too and stuff, we all have to be uh, extra careful and vigilant so that we make sure that this isn't abused or uh, diverted. Yeah, I think that's a great place to uh, add on. So how do patients or users get these medications? So in the early 2000s, a big problem for where these medications were coming from was online prescribing. So I want to draw attention to a story from 2008 about a high school student named Ryan Haight who was prescribed opioids from a doctor online. He had never met this doctor. The doctor never had a video call, never had an exam with the patient, and he just prescribed opioids because that's what Ryan Haight wanted. And doctor sent the script to an online pharmacy. The pharmacy filled it, also had no contact with Ryan Haight, just took the credit card information, sent the, sent the prescription to him, and unfortunately he passed away from it. He overdosed on the opioids. So there was no oversight 
nothing that was able to be done. And this led to the Ryan Hate Act of 2008 being passed. So what this does in terms of for prescribers is prescribers who are giving opioids via online have to see the patient at least once via physical exam or video exam every year. And they have to be in touch with them once every three months if they're gonna continuously prescribe opioid medications for them on a monthly basis. Also, it holds pharmacies accountable too. So pharmacies need to be registered with the DEA and make sure that they're going through the proper procedures to, with, um, to be able to handle opioids and to get them out properly with proper um, safety guidelines for the patients. Yeah, well, that's good. So we can see that they're doing a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, the problem is, though, that we are still seeing so many deaths, so there's clearly more to be done. You know, an inadvertent or unintended consequence of everybody cracking down from top to bottom, from manufacturer all the way down to the supply chain, the un unintended consequence is now people who are used to using oxy-30s or some of these other drugs or fentanyl or whatever they may be uh, using or looking for, mostly like the oxycodone products, I guess, um, now they are seeking these um, uh, these products somewhere else, like online. There's a lot of places you can get them online without even a prescription. You can buy a lot of things online. And just because you're buying it, you shouldn't, doesn't necessarily mean you should trust it. I've been a pharmacist since 1986. If you look at the picture um, of the oxycodone uh, counterfeit at versus the uh, oxycodone, uh, the actual oxycodone 30s that were uh, made by the company there, there, it's, I can't discern the difference. I, and I've been a pharmacist, uh, like I said, all these years. So, you know, now more than ever, there are more counterfeit tablets out there. And it's, that's why even more now than ever, you cannot trust uh, just taking something from a person that's not your doctor or going, going to get a, getting the prescription from your doctor and going to your pharmacy and getting that. Because it's just, it, you don't know what's in it. And you have to assume, as uh, we've said before, that there could be something uh, deadly in there and you have to treat it that way. I like to refer to it as kind of Russian roulette, whereas you don't know what you're taking and just as much as they don't know what they're giving you. So you're putting your life at risk while they're putting your life at risk. That's that's double the disadvantage there. Right. And again, it's not even necessarily what we have to. We, we don't want to we want to emphasize some of these things are somewhat innocent. Uh, the person buys these counterfeit tablets thinking that they're the right thing. He has them and then maybe shares them with his uh, friends. Um, and, and you have, a, a, I believe, a, st a story about that too, right? Right, so this can happen to anyone. It can happen to someone close to you, someone you hear about. It can even happen to celebrities. So I wanna draw your attention to a 2019 story involving a, a former Major League Baseball player by the name of Tyler Skaggs. He was an up and coming pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. And unfortunately, he passed away from an overdose on what he thought were oxycodone tablets and they happened to be laced with fentanyl and he wasn't getting these via a legal prescription from a doctor through a pharmacy he was getting them from um, someone who worked for the team in the front office man by the name of Eric Kay and Eric Kay was giving these medicines to him without proper approval or oversight and he got them illegally and he thought they were oxycodone and they happened to have fentanyl in them and it ended up killing Tyler Skaggs, unfortunately. So not only is this unfortunate for Tyler Skaggs, who had his whole life ahead of him, but also for Eric Hay, who, who too had his whole life ahead of him. He has been charged and found guilty of criminal charges for um, illegal distribution of a controlled and dangerous substance. And he's facing up to 20 years in jail now because of this. So. 
I think it's scary to think that some people have it all figured out. They know where uh, what they're taking, who they're getting it from. It's just not that simple anymore, unfortunately. Um, trying a new drug off the, off the street can kill you in less than just a few seconds. So that's important to keep in mind. Um, just not to try anything anywhere unless it's prescribed from a doctor um, and given to you by a pharmacist. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, explain, explain to us a little bit more, um, John, uh, about this, um, you know, in terms of uh, the dependency on this kind of thing. Right. So if you guys are familiar with um, going for a run or working out, something known as runner's high, where you get kind of this euphoric feeling after you finish your workout, opioids can have a very similar effect where after you take the medication, you feel this euphoric effect and you're happy, makes you feel good. And it creates a craving, a dependence for the medication. So you're more likely to go back and get more and more. And as this happens, you develop what's called tolerance to it. So in order to feel this euphoric effect, you need to get more and more of the medication in order to have the same effect. So not only are you going back to the dealer looking for more and more of it and at a higher dose, but you're also needing more of it at a higher dose, as I said, which also leads to a greater risk of respiratory depression. So the more you get, the, less li the more likely you are to develop a slower breathing rate and you can go into respiratory depression. So it's really a scary thing. So, Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the sad story. Uh, and actually, the motivation uh, from this, for this presentation today came from uh, a Facebook post I saw about uh, a young boy, Isaiah, I think from California, right? I think so. yeah, yeah, I think he's from California. Um, his mother, Marissa, uh, posted, uh, it was, must have been very painful for her. Um, to post this, but she's just trying to get the word out. And, you know, I saw this and I said, you know what, we need to uh, get the word out more and share this story of this young man, freshman in high school, athlete, football team, loved by all his friends and family. You know, one night just going uh, out with his friends, uh, went to somebody's house. One of the friends, again, innocently enough, said, oh, we're, we want to try one of these. I've taken them before. It's no big deal. And um, he took one. And again, it was thought to be an oxycodone, but it wasn't. And what happened is he passed out and uh, he was he, passed out for like an hour, they said, right? Yeah, just yeah, over just over an hour. Right. And uh, what was the problem is that nobody nobody uh, called 911. And that's right. what we want to address uh, before diving into some of the deeper concerns. We wanted to address the importance of calling 911. If you do see someone on the floor passed out, whether you think they're sleeping it off or just joking around, you don't know if it's an overdose or if it's something serious. So instead of going along with the bystander effect, meaning that someone else will do something, you'll, uh, someone else will take care of the situation, it's important for you to take control and call 911 to try to get the person help as soon as possible. Um, and we'd like to discuss Narcan, uh, which is an antidote to the opioids. Yeah, that's, we just, just the things that, you know, they, they waited to call 911. And it's too often we all maybe laugh, oh, look at that one, that, this girl, that guy had too much to drink and they're, 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 they're sleeping it off, you know, and you just instead of that now you can't with the, with everything that's going on now with the fentanyl you can't just let somebody sleep it off you have to check on them if they're not responding uh you need to call 911 and you know that's why i was saying before sometimes even people that have opioids around the house that are prescription opioids have a narcan around but if they don't um always but the police officers and first responders do so uh tell us more about uh, narcan absolutely so what i have in front of me right here is Narcan's nasal spray and the generic for it, naloxone nasal spray. So both of these are nasal sprays that are known as opioid antidotes. So what they do is they re reverse the effect of um, how an opioid binds to the opioid receptor and creates the effect which it does. So 
if, if, um, if someone is taking too much of an opioid and they go into respiratory depression, these will immediately go in, knock out the opioid from the receptor, and allow the person to start breathing again right away. So John and I have here our example test kits for um, naloxone. So what you're going to do is if you're a healthcare professional or a police officer, you're going to have these on you. So usually they come in a package. They're very easy to open. It'll be in a package. You're just going to peel it open, ready to use right away. You don't have to uncap it or do anything. You're going to put your two fingers right at the top here and your thumb right here on the plunger that you can see here in pink. So this part right here is what goes into the nostril. So as I mentioned, it's a nasal spray. So usually the person's going to be on the ground, usually unconscious too. You're going to put this right into the nostril and then you're going to press your finger down on the plunger and depress the plunger all the way. This is going to administer a life-saving dose of nasal spray. And after that, you're going to administer about five or so rescue breaths and give the patient about two or three minutes to see if they recover. If they don't, these boxes here contain two doses. So you're going to have another um, system with which you can just, um, administer another nasal spray. And you're going to do that one more time and once again administer rescue breaths. And this will, uh, if caught quickly enough, restore um, the breathing rate to the patient so they'll be able to start breathing again. So it's very important. Time is of the essence here. This works very quickly, but one person overdoses, it's very quick that you can lose them. So you have to act as quickly right, as right. possible. You, look, you get this young boy, Isaiah, you know, it was an hour plus time. So if somebody saw him laying there for 15, 20 minutes and called, it's likely, uh, and I've heard, heard some first responders, personal uh, firsthand stories where they've just, people have just, you know, gotten the, they're out cold, get the spray and then, you know, all of a sudden they come to right away and they, you know, they regain consciousness. So yeah, it's a life-saving medication and it's important to know about it. And it's important to make sure you get help, you know, make sure you get help 911, you know, right away. Um, I did want to address that this is a lot less invasive than uh, that of the EpiPen, which is uh, being injected into the side of the leg, whereas this is just a simple nasal administration. Um, so it's a lot easier to use and shouldn't be. It's not right, difficult. You don't hesitation. have to be. A, you don't have to be a nurse, a doctor, right. a physician assistant, a pharmacist. You, you, a lay person can easily administer a, a dose of this. And uh, it's important to remember too. Um, like Arvisha said, it's not invasive. You're not giving them an injection. It just goes right in the nose. And in terms of side effect profiles, if anyone's concerned about that, there are no side effects from it. So that's something to keep in mind. The only potential adverse effect that can be seen is if the person getting it is a chronic opioid user. Once they come out of their um, overdose state, they will begin to experience withdrawal from their medicine. So that's something that can be treated in the hospital. And the important thing is that they're breathing. So there are no actual side effects from this medication, which I think is important to keep in mind. Yes, right. So you really can't do much harm with using that. So if right. you're afraid about that, it's more important that you err on the side of caution and administer the dose. So we wanted to discuss a little bit more about the preventative strategies versus what to do after an overdose. Um, first and foremost, we wanted to uh, talk about having conversations these may be difficult conversations to have with your children neighbors students the the goal is to spread the word uh, the word firmly and passionately to educate those about the dangers of substance abuse right so it's important to not assume that your children already know what's going on and how to to work with these items but also it's important that you don't stray away from introducing these ideas into their heads the goal is to be proactive and try to get ahead of the game um, and try to stop this from happening in the first place. Right, and again, you know, some people think, well, my kids are okay. It's not always just about your kids. It's about the kids that they're friends with that maybe they could help. You know, it's, it's that you, you teach them about it. Maybe they're gonna help some, save somebody, right. so. 
And yeah. I also wanted to discuss the importance of trying to educate yourself before educating your children, just because it gives them a little bit more comfort when, uh, when they need to seek help. Um, educating your children well will help them educate their friends, um, family, et cetera. The, the goal, again, is to just spread the word around. So that'd be a good way to do that. So um, at this point, too, we want to mention to you about, um, again, the importance of uh, safe storage and then, safe, and then disposal of, of medications. Uh, the DEA has drug take-back day four times a year. Um, many local police stations, some pharmacies, too, have uh, take-back boxes. Uh, in North Arlington area, our closest police station that has one is in Lyndhurst. Um, and there's no questions asked. You can drop any uh, prescription drugs off there. But it's better to have those things, if they're not being used, just to get them out of the house. Whether they're expired or not, um, the less that's laying around, uh, the better. Um, the other thing that we have to just keep in mind, too, is that if people do have a problem and you see a relative, a friend, a, a co-worker, what have you, uh, in trouble, you know, you have to have them help them uh, uh, get help. Uh, there's a lot of recovery and treatment places. Uh, we, uh, we have a, a colleague here uh, at uh, newpathway.com, Dr. Frank, and there's many other links we're going to provide in the uh, uh, below that you'll see that you can uh, click on to get further information. But um, seeking help if you or your family member is addicted or dependent on something uh, is a very important thing to do. So, it, you know, don't hesitate to get help because many people have been through all this before and you're not out there alone. Um, just spread the word and also just be willing to go Educate ask for help. Yourself, yeah. Go ask for help. Um, so I think that's, that's about it, guys. I, I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today on this talk. Uh, if you have any questions about how to get Narcan or Naloxone spray, or if you want to see our demonstration, uh, uh, this is available by the Red Cross site, by the way. If you want to get that, it's uh, about 7 or $8 to get this. So if you wanted to uh, learn how to use one or train with one that, and not actually use the real one and that's this would be a great thing to get i think that's important to mention too john so like these naloxone narcan they no longer require prescription to get and they're almost always covered by the insurance so even if you're just um a patient who's taking opioids for some reason and you get this and you see someone down on the ground unconscious it's okay to give it to them your insurance company will definitely be able to reimburse you especially since you used it pro you used it proactively they'll give you another one for have for yourself so it's always important to be proactive and try to save a life if you can. Right. So, but if you do have any questions, um, we're always here to answer them. 201-997-2010. Uh, John, Arisha, thank you so much for uh, joining me on this important uh, video. Thank you Thanks. for having me, sir. Thank you.